Lizzie and I have bed bugs in our house. And we found them on Sunday after a pretty powerful evening with the saints and with the Lord in prayer. I've got some used furniture I'm selling right now. It'd be crazy cheap if any of you want to buy it. Number one fear of staying in an apartment building, and I've prayed for years, is I'll do this, just don't let me get bed bugs. <laughs> Poor daughters. <clears throat> so I'm holding Lizzie, she's crying, we're doing the deal, we got the exterminators, we're working to get through it. Just letting it all hang out there, guys, just exposing all, the, all of our stories here. I'm like, man, that's, that was tough. Like, what's, you know, was like, what's the Lord saying in that? Show up on Monday, have a hard day. Some stuff just got exposed at work, like big time exposed. You know, some stuff that had been there for a long time with some employees really just got exposed. And even the, like a manager situation really got exposed. And then we started getting all these different stories. Lizzie got, we, we were at a, a, a dinner date deal and Lizzie just got this stronghold that she's believed about herself for a long time just exposed and like the truth came and set her free and she's crying and it's been there for years and she's just, it's like a weed just got pulled up out of her garden. I'm talking to a couple is married and, and wife just confessed hidden sin and, and there's just this, this, thing that came out today and, and they're working through it. My, my, uh, I've got a dear brother that's helping him work through it. It's a season of what's been in the dark being brought into the light. And I think it's important to recognize that in season. What, what is the Lord saying in this? I was really praying into that because that was the word on my heart tonight. What's the Lord saying through these things that the exterminator says to me, they've been in your house for months. I'm like, oh my gosh, months. How do they get there? Have they been there for months? This is crazy. Like, oh yeah, so my house wasn't clean and fresh and great one week ago, like I thought it was. And it's actually not a horrible, bad thing that all this is being exposed now and I'm seeing it on the mattresses now. The Lord knew it all along. I was actually living with that a week ago, but I was living in the darkness about it. And now it seems so bad, but I'm like, praise the Lord. He brings the light. Isn't he so good to bring the light? And this marriage is now on the verge of divorce and she's confessing. They didn't have a great marriage two weeks ago. They had a marriage where she was hiding horrible sin <laughs> against her husband. And she was in a house church meeting, got convicted. The presence of the Lord came and the truth came out. Praise the Lord. It seems like my whole world is falling apart is what this husband said. We're like, it seems like everything's falling apart. I'm like, no, no, we gotta have a spiritual perspective on this. What happens with Joshua when he steps into the promised land? What's the first stronghold he comes up against? Starts with a J. Can't get through the promised land unless you stop at Jericho and deal with Jericho. It seems like the whole world is falling apart but what's happening? Really, the stronghold's falling apart. Everything's crumbling down around me. Yeah, and that's a good thing. You need that because you can't press on into the promised land and take your full inheritance until all that's crumbled. Yeah? So I was thinking about this and I thought, what the Lord's saying to me in this is that we're getting answers to our prayers 
You pray for purity, what's he do? He's like, all right, we're gonna go for purity, man. You pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any offensive way. What? He's like, man, yeah, we're gonna do that prayer. Amen. And it comes in a way where you're like, why did you have to do it that way? He's like, because I love you and my ways are not your ways. And so I was thinking about this today and I read one of my favorite devotionals, opened it this morning, Streams in the Desert. Before we were believers, or even maybe when we were new believers, soulish, were people who were living to ourselves. Our hopes, our promises, and our dreams still controlled us. But the Lord began to fulfill our prayers. I was sitting in college for two semesters writing, don't let me waste my life on textbooks. I don't know why I was praying it. I just knew I'm here at a crossroads in my life, pursuing money and career and all that. And I just like, John Piper said, don't waste your life. And it meant something to me. So I'm like, don't let me waste my life. I had no idea what it meant. I just started praying it like crazy. Lord's like, all right, I'm gonna let you not waste your life. The Lord began to fulfill our prayers They asked for a repentant heart and they'd surrender themselves with a willingness to pay any price. And what did God send? Sorrow. They asked for purity. And what did he send? Sudden anguish. They asked for meekness and he broke their hearts. They asked to be dead to the world. I love this one. And so he killed all their living hopes put it to death. They asked to be made like him, and so he put them in the fire as a refiner and purifier of silver, according to Malachi 3.3, until they could reflect his image. They asked to help carry his cross, yet when he held it out to them, it cut and tore their hands. They had not fully understood what they asked, but he had taken them at their word and he granted them all their requests. Careful what you ask God. Careful what you pray for because you just might get it. Change me from the inside out, Lord. Give me eyes just to see you and nothing else. He'll give you the answer. He'll give you the desire of your heart. It might be painful, but it's the best thing ever. Set me free from my addiction, Lord. Set me free. I want a pure heart. Careful with that prayer because he'll do it. What's happening right now, what I believe is we're seeing the first fruits of revival in the church. Because the first fruits of every revival, the Jonathan Edwards Edwards revival in the United States, you had the Welsh revival, you had the Azusa Street revival, you had the Lewis Island revival off off the Scottish coast. I want to talk about that here in a minute. You had all these different revivals. Every single one of them started with a crying out for holiness and a confession of sin. Every first fruit in revival was, I'm unclean like Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Isaiah says, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. King Uzziah was king for a long time. Isaiah was a young man when King Uzziah became king. He was his father figure. When that death happened, Isaiah had his eyes open and he saw the Lord and the train of his robe filled the temple and he has all these magnificent visions of heaven and the seraphim and their wings and all this that's happening and what does Isaiah say? Woe 
unto me. I am ruined. Because now I realize something that I did not realize five minutes ago, but was true, but it got exposed when I saw the Lord. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. I'm unclean and they're all unclean. And we have been. I just didn't know it until my eyes were open. So the first fruits of revival is seeking out holiness. A revival, just to be clear, is for God's people. A revival is not for the lost, the people of this world. A revival happens in the church first. My people call by my name, humble themselves, pray about it, heal their land. The church first needs revival, and that spills out into our streets. There's such an awareness of God in a revival that sinners come and say, what must we do to be saved? Please tell us. And the fish jump in the boat. That's what revival looks like, but it starts in the church. Crusades, evangelism efforts and outreaches are wonderful, but those are not revival. That's a different definition. Revivals catch communities, as one old-time preacher said. An awareness of God's presence and his movements beginning in the church that spread out to the community. So several years ago, I was struck in revisiting the story of the Lewis Island Revival, the New Hebrides Revival. And I shared it. And I want to share it again because it's on my heart. And I shared this at a pastor's meeting this week, what I believe the Lord's about to do here. And maybe I'm a glass half full guy, but I believe El Dorado is super special and something's about to happen here. I want to cast this vision out to you. From 1949 to 1952, off the western coast of Scotland were the New Hebrides Islands. And there was a revival there that happened from 1949 to 1952 that changed everything. And Lewis Island, it's sometimes called the Lewis Revival because Lewis is the big island to the north on the map. And then all the Hebrides Islands go down and they're on the, kind of on the eastern side on the coast of Scotland there. But Duncan Campbell was the pastor that got the credit for this revival in a lot of ways, but it actually wasn't him that started it. There's a picture of him, and there's two sisters, one of them blind on the left, 84 years old, and her sister Christine. You have uh, Peggy and Christine Smith were their names. And the story goes like this. On this island in 1949, there were desperate times. And none of the youth on the island were going after the Lord. In this church where they all went, there was not one youth in the church. And so 84-year-old Peggy, who was blind, started praying for these backslidden youth in her home. And in prayer, she got a vision and she saw the church of her fathers packed full with young people. And so she goes to the church pastor and she says, I have a vision. It was not Duncan Campbell, it was a different guy, this local church pastor, and he loved the Lord. She said, I saw a vision of young people packing this church and there was a strange pastor that I did not know standing in the pew, it wasn't you. She said, it was a different pastor. He was standing in the pulpit. Sorry, it wasn't you. And the pastor says, I want that. He, he loved that story. And she says, Pastor 
You've tried missions and you've tried evangelism outreaches. Have you tried God? And the pastor was cut to the heart. And the pastor said, I'm going to get the elders together and we're going to pray all night on Tuesday night and Friday night every week until we see a move of God. By the way, the backslidden nature of the youth in 1949 was dancing and pool halls where they were drinking. Pretty vanilla compared to today, but sin is sin, even in its infancy. The Lord sees that, and he was grieved by it then. How much more now? So these old sisters said, we can't come with you. We can't get out of the house. But what we'll commit to doing is we will pray together every Tuesday night and Friday night when you pray. And we'll pray from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. They only had one promise. And that was out of Isaiah 44, verse 3, where it says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and floods upon the dry ground which is actually really confirming to me because Isaiah 35, which is the same thing about waters flowing in the desert and the wilderness is what I believe the promise is for El Dorado. They had one promise and they prayed into that and they did this for several months without seeing anything happen. And finally, one night they were in prayer in a barn, several men with the straw all around. And one man stood up and he began praying out of Psalms 24. They're praying the scripture back to the Lord. And he began to pray, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he puts his Bible down and he says in his Scottish accent, it seems humbug to pray for revival if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. And so he begins to cry out to the Lord, Lord, are my hands clean? Lord, are my, is my heart pure? And in the middle of praying this, he falls down on his face in the straw and three other men with him in the barn all fall down as well and they fall into a trance. Happened in the Jonathan Edwards revival too. I don't know exactly what that looks like. I got Bible for it, but they fell into a trance. And all that they say happened on that night was that power was released from that barn and shook the entire island of Lewis. So the next morning, the men walked out of the barn and they said, all we could say is God seemed to be everywhere. The presence of the Lord was everywhere and it was on everyone. There was an awareness of God that gripped the community. Everyone that day began to start meeting in small groups out in workplaces and fields and they started talking about their similar experience. Almost like, did you feel the bomb that went off? Something happened. All I can think about is the Lord and I'm convicted of my sin. Everyone started talking about this. This strange consciousness of God. While this was happening on the New Hebrides Island, Duncan Campbell was at a different revival across the ocean. And there was a move of God there. And so this old woman, this Peggy Smith, reaches out to the local pastor and she says, I think the man in my vision that was preaching in that pulpit was Duncan Campbell. He was a famous evangelism, uh, evangelist at the time. I think you should get him to come. So they wrote a letter to Duncan Campbell. Duncan gets the letter. He replies back and says, I'm a part of a different revival. I can't come. 
So the pastor gets the letter and he says to Peggy Smith, this blind 84-year-old, Duncan says he can't come. And she said, he'll be here within a fortnight because God showed me that it was him. So the Lord's gonna change plans. And Duncan Campbell says, all I can say is 10 days later, because of a change of plans in this conference, I was standing there on the Hebrides Islands talking to this pastor. They meet him at the railway station and the elders of the church gather around him. And one of the elders says, Mr. Campbell, are you walking with the Lord? As if to say, the thing that's happening here is so pure and so precious. We don't want anyone with, un- with defiled hands touching the ark. And Duncan Campbell thought for a moment and he says, well, I can say that I fear the Lord. And this elder of the church says, that's good enough for me. If you fear the Lord, then you know the Lord. They said, we're gonna take you to this cottage for supper because your travels have been long. But before we go, would you mind stopping at this church building where there's a few people gathered there to hear you preach the word. They're hungry for the word. Would you mind stopping off before supper and doing that? And he says, I would love to. And he said, all I can tell you is I missed my supper that night. I walked through the door at home at 4.40 in the morning. And he said, what happened was I walked in, there was two or 300 people waiting on me to show up. And he said, I preached the word and it was a good night. And people responded well, but a move of God did not happen. Nothing special happened that night. He said, I closed my text, nothing happened, but a young man came up to him and says, I have a word for you, pastor. He said, what's that? And he said, God is hovering over us and he's about to break through at any moment. And he said, he said it with his hands, God is hovering over us, pastor, and he's about to break through at any moment. And as he said this, this young man fell down on the ground into a trance as Duncan Campbell was standing there watching him. While this happened, someone walked through the door of the church building and said, you must come outside because something has happened. Revival has broken out on the Isle of Lewis. And so Duncan Campbell and these elders step outside and what do they see but 700 people surrounding the church building. This is 11 o'clock at night. 700 people standing around the church building and they say, revival's here. Let's open the doors back up. So they bring them all back inside and they have a church meeting, a revival meeting until 4.40 in the morning. And that started off two and three years of one of the greatest revivals we've ever known. And it only happened 70 years ago or so, 80 years ago. They prayed, Lord, you promised us in Isaiah 44 that you would send streams into the desert. It hasn't happened yet, Lord, but we're holding you to your word. Would you do it? And he did it. Young people were to dance that night. And because of conviction of their sin, they fled from the dance and came to that revival meeting and they got saved. The next morning they walked out And they said, Pastor, you've got to see this. There were 300 people gathered outside of this police station, unsaved people. And they had walked six miles from a village close by to this constable's house, which was right next door to Peggy Smith's cottage, this praying widow. And the reason they said they walked six miles to this constable's house was because the constable was a well-saved man. 
And he was the only one they knew of that could tell them how to be saved. And so outside this police station, all these people hear the word of the Lord and they're saved. He said, we went from town to town through all these islands. Church buildings were packed eight times a day. He said, I was preaching the word to these people. I was going into fields and people were gathering. We were preaching the word. People were under conviction of sin. They'd be laying in front of the pulpit. He'd have to walk over them and they'd be crying, is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? And they'd leave them there. There were no counselors helping people in their anguish. He said, we let people soak in the conviction of their sin because we were not gonna interrupt the deep work of sorrow the Lord was doing in their heart. This is just like what the apostles did. They let them go through the anguish of their sins to finish it off inside of them. Let them stay there and then they would preach the gospel and they would respond. The people were cut to the heart just like in the days of Peter. They would schedule times at 1.30 a.m. to have him come and preach because they had no time, morning, noon, or night for him to come. So he'd go preach in services from 1.30 to 2.30 in the morning. The word of God and the work spread throughout the islands and it went on for two or three years. This is what revival looks like. I believe the Lord wants to do that here. Wouldn't that be crazy if people, if like bars were shutting down and the police had nothing to do in this silly retreat bar that I pass every night on the way back in up on the corner by the prison was shut down? And people were so overwhelmed with the move and the presence of the Lord that they said, what must we do? Where can we go? I believe the Lord wants to do that. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, John 3 says, but the people loved the darkness because their deeds were evil. Those who do evil hate the light and they will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will become exposed. But those who love the truth and live in the truth and by the truth, they come into the light. The Lord is exposing darkness. It's the first fruit of revival right now. There's more coming. Praise the Lord for that. Can we pray that people, when their deeds are exposed, they would not love the darkness more than the light, but they would say yes to the light. Have your full, complete, and finished work in me, God. I want you to heal me. and I want to live by the truth. Many people will say no, There are people in in revival times, even then, that said no. But the Lord's like, arise and shine. Your light's here. Your light's coming. The glory of the Lord is shining upon you. And I'll finish with this. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Past tense. The light is already here, yes? But look what happens. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises, present tense, upon you. It's happening even now. The light has come, but even now the light is rising upon you, he says. And his glory appears, present tense, over you. Then look, it moves to future. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Arise and shine, church, because the, the glory of the Lord is shining. Is the earth covered in thick darkness? Yes, it is. 
so much so that I can feel it. Can you feel it sometimes? Like when you see, when you look at the news, when you hear the reports, you're like, it's so dark. It's so dark here. But nothing can hold the Lord's hand back. The dawn is coming and no darkness is gonna keep the dawn back. So he says, live like children of the light. It's almost here. People are going to be looking for answers very soon. And I wanna be ready for that. Amen. Thank you guys. Thank you for letting me speak into that. I spoke last week about being a people of presence. It's what sets us apart. God's peculiar people. We have an oily mandate here in El Dorado to host the presence of the Lord. Would you practice with me this week? Just practicing his presence in your chair, in your car, in your truck, while you're fixing dinner, whatever you're doing, practicing his presence. Let's stand if you would, guys. Mm. Just love you, Lord. Love your word, God. Love your presence among us. Lord, I pray that you would rend the heavens and do what you did in the days of old. Pour out your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would cause signs and wonders to be seen in our day that we've never dreamed of or imagined. So I pray for hearts that are willing to do the work, Lord, of prayer. All of us, Lord, need stirred up. And so stir up our hearts to pray. We have to see you, God. Thank you for the exposing work you're doing in this season. We say more, Lord. More exposing, Lord. More revealing, more shining your light, God. We just pray, Father, for all of us to be more sensitive to what you're saying. Your voice, Holy Spirit, let us hear. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.